Welcome to the Freight Broker Bootcamp audio experience, and I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Welcome, my friend, Jeffrey Price. Thank you for being here today. Hey, thank you for having me, Dennis. I appreciate you as well, sir. Love it. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here. Give us a quick intro. You have an interesting background. Take a minute or two and talk a little bit about your background, you know, kind of a little bit of your army background and how you transitioned out and then eventually how you jumped into becoming a freight broker and why. Long story short, I joined the United States Army Reserves back in 2012. My MOS, which is Military Occupational Specialty, which is just your army job, so to speak, was a transportation management coordinator. So that really got my foot in the door doing transportation logistics, understanding how to get things from the right place at the right time and for the right price. All those Army Corps values. Once I picked that MOS, I did extremely well, got out of boot camp and went straight to a deployment in Afghanistan um, where I just did amazing things doing transport logistics, working in dredge, getting containers in Afghanistan out to the United States or whatever other military bases they needed to go to. So that got me the intro about trucking. We did truck driving ourselves if we were short on drivers, working with different ethnicities, cultures, nationalities, as you do, doing a freight brokerage. And then uh, once I redeployed, I got a job working with a major freight brokerage. So that's where I learned both what I do want to do and what not to do. But that's where I kind of got the ground of finding carriers, what to expect, and really planted the seed for me to where I knew I wanted to go back and start a freight brokerage from the ground up. So I was there for about almost a year, left there, got a job at Honda doing global transportation logistics. So at this point, I'm doing the exact same thing I did in the military, just doing it for Honda as well. I was there for until 2020. Once COVID hit, they had me doing um, inbound, outbound procurement, which is just purchasing parts, as well as packaging and warehouse management because they furloughed everybody in North America except for those in global supply chain, because as you know, other countries were still running production, China, Japan, India, since COVID hit at different times. And at that point, if I can be trusted with a billion dollar decisions working for this company, I might as well go ahead and do it for myself. So I took the leap of faith, started the company in 2020, left in 2021, because I realized the company can only grow as much as I can put into it as far as time goes, which you talk about all the time, Dennis. So first year we did about 135,000. Last year, we did close to a million, and we're on pace to double that this year. I love it. And listen, before we move forward, thank you so much for your service. I should have said that at the very beginning because I don't want that to go without recognizing that. That's very, very important. So I appreciate that, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners do as well. And thank you for that quick background. I mean, you've got a a really interesting background, you know, military, transportation-related logistics, and then converting over into into the private sector, working for a brokerage, and then working on the shipper side. So I love the progression, and I I think it's very natural that a guy like you, if you're entrepreneurial and really want to kind of control your own destiny, how you would, how and why you would start your own freight broker. So I, I think the why is there. And I think the how you got started is there. And congrats. I think you said you did, you're already this year over half a million. You're on pace to do over a million dollars in sales in 2023, right? Correct. Correct. Love yes. it. Okay, yes. great. All right, so let's talk about the startup because when you started, you started part-time, which is unusual, right? right? So you had a career, you had a job, you had a full-time job, but then you were doing this part-time. Talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced there and and how that went. Starting it off part-time, you know, because in my heart, 
I kind of felt like other people to where it's like, oh, I'll just start a freight brokerage and do it part time since I had a really high paying job working at Honda as a global transportation manager to where I was making six figures. But it was like kind of hard to walk away from that in the beginning. Getting started, especially with a freight brokerage from the ground up, it's more than just getting the MC number and getting trucks. You know, I knew from working at that mega brokerage, I needed to have some cash because starting off, nobody's really going to work with you. I could get a high paying low, but carriers still aren't going to work with you without having business credit and things of that nature. So the reason why it took me so long to transition is I needed capital, right? I needed capital to pay carriers up front and just to really run the business until I had business credit and I was factorable through factoring companies. So that was really the hardest trying point for me. You know, I was making my pitch to investors saying, look at my background, graduated from the Army Transportation School, 100% on every test, all this experience leading up to it, but nobody would take a chance on me. So literally what my wife and I did was we put our house on the line. We took out a home equity line of credit for $100,000 to fund the company, to have the money to pay, wow. buy, to pay for carriers, things of that nature. And that's how we were able to really jumpstart it because now... We had the cash to pay carriers up front, do those little small things until we had business credit established. Yeah. So you really had some skin in the game. And I know that some some startups do struggle with getting carriers to do business with them. You know, a lot of times people go to factoring companies. You know, we've talked about that in my trainings. We've talked about that on different interviews on my YouTube channel, how to try to build that credit up quickly. A matter of fact, I think we had Elio Longoria on. He was an interview from a couple of years ago, how he talked about he did over $7,000 in profit his first week and how he was able to stumble through that early stages of getting people carriers to extend them credit. So it is possible, but there are some challenges there. But the interesting is, Jeffrey, is that you went all in, right? I mean, you took a, not only did you quit your job, but you took a hundred thousand dollar line of credit on your home. Yeah. And now things get very real, right? They get very real because now you got mama involved, right? You're married. Now you're putting the house on the line. Yep. And uh, things get real serious. She's probably not complaining about you putting a few extra hours in at work yeah. when uh, when you've got that much skin in the game. And, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, we talk about that a lot. And you do, too. You need to really have that skin in the game to have that passion to push you through the hard times. I say all the time, this industry is not for the faint of heart. If you can't persevere or have a bigger why or purpose behind you. You know, I got to look at my wife every day and say, hey, we took out this home equity line of credit. I have to succeed. You know, there's no turning back at that point. And sometimes we need to be in a position where there is no turning back in order to really be successful. Yeah, it's funny because I tell the story. I got married on September 27, 2003. I started my freight brokerage. I incorporated my freight brokerage on October 3rd, 2003, six days later. I was newly married. Didn't really have a whole lot of money coming off of a failed a failed business. And my wife wanted to start a family. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. You know, I burned the boats, as they say, and I went all in. And, you know, for some people, that's the right thing to do. You took a phased approach. I think that's really interesting. And, and you know, not able, not everybody's able to pull that off part time to try to get that little bit of a jump start. So kudos to you for for that. And then kudos to you for, for quitting a six figure job. I mean, you had a really nice job at Honda that most people would never quit. 
I mean, you know, like you said, it's hard to quit a job like that, right? You know, you've got a well-established multi-billion dollar company. You're making a great income in an industry that's, you know, like a staple in the world, right? Everywhere. Honda's known everywhere. So, so congrats on that. So talk to us about the, once you burned the boats and you went full time, Talk to us a little bit about how you got your first customers. Talk to us a little bit about how you were able to get your first customers. Were it a lot of referrals? Was it people you had done business with at Honda? Was it people from the military? Was it cold calling, LinkedIn? How were you getting your customers? So at this point, honestly, I had one battle buddy. He was in my army unit. I told him about the idea. I said, look, man, I'm about to start this company from the ground up. And he was like, I feel like this is for me. I'm going to do it with you. So, you know, when I tell my testimony, I'm like, this guy quit his job and came with me before we even had a shipper, right? So I say like, dude, you're way crazier than me. But um, anyway, what we did was, you know, we just hopped on the phones. I mean, literally we looked at companies that were military friendly because, you know, we were pushing being a veteran owned business off top. You know, we already had that certification to be a veteran owned small business. That was easy for me to get just submitting that through the SBA, the Small Business Association, and then just running with that. So finding companies that were military friendly because then when I'm making our outbound calls, my pitch, as you say, Dennis, doesn't sound like everybody else. You know, I'm starting with like, hey, I'm a veteran owned freight brokerage, started a company from the ground up or something along those lines, really draw them in to where the first thing they're going to say is more, more than likely is thank you for your service. But now I have them on the phone. Now we can talk a little bit more. Now we can have more discussions. So our first shipper, he was in Afghanistan the same time I was in Afghanistan. And we went through thousands of calls before we found him. And that company gave us $450,000 in business last year. So in this industry, you don't really need a lot of clients. You just need the right client. And because he was in Afghanistan when I was, honestly, Dennis, the first time we talked, we didn't even talk about transportation. We're sharing stories about the deployment and all that stuff you go through as being a soldier. And he honestly just spoon fed his business to where he's coming to Columbus tomorrow and I'm taking him out to a steakhouse. So, I mean, that's the way you really just build relationships as you always preach yourself. Yeah, what I love about that is you didn't get on the phone and say, hey, I'm the greatest freight broker. Hey, I can save you a bunch of money. Hey, I've got trucks in your area that need to be loaded. You didn't You didn't go the old school route of just sounding like everybody else. you know. But you also didn't have to departure that much from it. What you did was you found uh, an asset that you had, which is your military background. You targeted people that you knew that asset would be, would would get some sort of a favorable reaction, you know, that they would be compelled towards it. And then you leveraged it. And then you built rapport using that. That was the foundation of your entire sales process was building rapport using your veteran military army experience. You know, like you said, you don't need to have, see, most people think when they start this business, oh, you know, I got to go out and get a hundred customers or 200 customers. Listen, the reality is if you've got five to 10 average customers. Now I'm not talking about, you know, Honda. I'm not talking about, you know, Honda is your customer or Pepsi, your customer, US Steel. Average customers, you're sticking six figures in your pocket, right? I mean, in profit. I mean, you don't need hundreds of customers. So I think that's important for people to understand. So I'm glad you said that. Obviously, you know, I had a, I had a, a, a video recently. I did a training about not putting all your eggs in one basket. I told the story about how the freight broker had over a million dollars in sales and he only had one customer and he lost it. He almost went bankrupt. So you do want to diversify that. So I highly recommend diversification. But to get started, if you get three, four, five shippers, you're, you should be off to the races as long as you take care of that business because it's all about repeat business. Yeah, and absolutely. And just another part of the testimony to that, 
the first month that I started, you know, really cold calling, I got in front of, you know, a cop, not a Costco, I'm sorry, what's the name of that company? Slipped my mind, but it was one of those big uh, grocery chains. And, you know, when I met with them, my rates couldn't even match the rates they were getting because I was too new. So I, I would suggest to anybody who is just starting, don't go after those billion dollar companies because it takes a long time to get a big fish like that. One of my biggest customers, it took me eight months and they're a big fish, they're a billion dollar company. But it took me eight months just to be registered with them for me to build that trust for them to give me business. And now it's consistent. But again, eight months, I'd much rather start with a company under, you know, maybe even 50 million or 25 million. And you'll still make six figures off of that easy. And you won't have all that competition as well. And you won't be in a situation where it's a race to the bottom. And that's really the worst to be in. Yeah. In the freight brokerage business, Large shippers, high volume shippers need brokers the least. And here's why. Because number one, all of the big brokers compete for high volume freight. All of the big carriers compete for high volume freight. And they have budgets and they have the resources to hire really solid talent to build out their own logistics team internally. So it's not that you can't do business with them. But for especially for a startup or small broker, it's not where you're needed most. Where you're needed the most is in the small to medium-sized shippers that are looking to grow and have strained resources, right? Maybe they're growing through acquisition, right? They had just acquired another company. They wanted to go from a you know a $50 million company to a $100 million company. They're doubling in size. That's a challenge on the logistics side. Whenever there's an acquisition or whenever you're rolling out new products or new markets, that's where the opportunity lies in logistics, right? It's not just getting the freight that they've been running day in and day out. When they're growing, that's when they have strained resources. That's when they need you the most. So those are the types of companies that, you know, the companies like you said, that are doing 25 or 50 or even $100 million in sales. The reality, guys, I know it's hard to believe, but a $100 million company is not a big company in the big scheme of things, right? If you're under a $100 million company, you're considered a small company. So I know that's, you know, challenging, especially when you're sitting here in a startup and you're trying to scratch two nickels together to hear that. But the fact is, that's the reality, especially if you're in the manufacturing, import, export if you're producing something, right? All right, cool. So let's talk a little, let's pivot over and talk a little bit about your niche. When you first started, what was the first type of freight that you were moving? What was your niche? What did you identify as that freight niche? Yep. So when I first started, I keyed in specifically on dry van and more specifically, the reason why is, you know, just from my previous experience working as a freight broker for a mega brokerage, what you got to understand is to each niche, there's a cost associated with it, right? So say if you're like, hey, I just want to go jump right into reefers. Well, are you prepared to pay for detention, layovers, and all the things that go along with produce running to those areas? Same thing with flatbeds. Are you prepared to deal with drivers who want to tarp and do all this other stuff that comes along with it? So with dry vans, you know, there's less of those variables that are out there and there's more dry van trucks than anything. So I knew for me, let me focus on where there's a lot of trucks, where there's a lot of new carriers getting into it to where I can find carriers to actually move the freight. So I specifically started with industries or companies that needed drive van freight. And since then, now we do drayage, now we do construction, pickup trucks, all kinds of stuff now, but primarily drive van is where I got started and that's the reason why. 
So you picked one niche, you started doing business in that niche, and then you strategically expanded into some other niches. I know you said drayage was a lot of what you did in the military. So that's probably what attracted you to that here, right? In your freight brokerage, because you you knew the lingo and you knew kind of from the buyer and the seller side, right? You've worked that. So it was something that you knew. So it was a lot easier for you to expand into other niches than, than a typical startup freight broker who doesn't have that experience. But the fact is, the reality is, In order to build a seven-figure business, a a million-dollar-plus company, you don't need to serve everybody, right? You're better off being a big fish in a smaller pond than a really small fish in a big pond because the problem is, is the noise in that big pond will drown out your message. But it's easier to differentiate yourself when you focus in a specific niche, right? So I love that. Was there a geographical component to it? Did you focus on Ohio, Midwest? Was there, or, or did you really just kind of canvas the whole van market trying to get some traction? Yeah, I focused on the Midwest and uh, really looking for shippers that did over the road because I would make the most money from it, right? If it's something over the road, and I'm adding 10 to 15% and it's like $3,000, for example, I'm going to make more money compared to if it was like the shorter runs, things of that nature. So I primarily focused on the Midwest out of a base to start out of and because I could go there in person, right? If I need to go visit somebody in Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, I could travel and do a face-to-face meeting because a lot of times in sales, people want to work with somebody who can communicate well who they actually like and want to do business with. So that was the reason why I started off there and really looking at over the road because they had the most opportunity for the most money. So you would use the phone to start building that initial rapport and dialogue. And then in the event that it went to that phase and you thought there was a viable opportunity for you and there was a level of interest, then you would possibly go visit them to try to move the sale to the next step. Exactly. Yes, sir. Love it. Yeah, so you're leveraging your time, but you're also not afraid to jump in your car and drive a few hours if there's a really strong prospect. Of course, you're going to try to set up multiple meetings on that day to and fro. But yeah, but I I agree. I mean, being face to face can have a huge impact. You know, a lot of things with success is are you willing to do things that other people won't do? That time with COVID just ending out, warehouses just opening up in that startup period. A lot of people wouldn't want to meet face to face. So even just being courageous enough and say, hey, I'll come out to you and things of that nature, bring some donuts or some food because that really wins people over when you feed them. Um, it's worked for us. Yeah, I love it. Great. All right. So we talked about your startup story. We talked a little bit about your revenue. We talked about your freight niche. We talked a little bit about your how you got the customers, right? Because you were picking up the phone. Tell me, what did you learn? What was some of your biggest lessons in that initial sales outreach, right? You told me how you used your military background to build rapport. But if there's one or two lessons that you learned that you could that you took away from that experience in those first 500 or 1,000 phone calls, right, which is the most challenging calls for any salesperson, what would be a couple of those lessons or what are the couple of those tips you might be able to share with the audience? Yeah, a couple of lessons that I learned from that is um, first off, pushing through the no. You know, normally people are kind of triggered just to say no. But really just pushing through that, pushing through the objections and also having the mindset that if you answer the phone, you have the time to talk to me. Because if I'm too busy, I'm just not going to answer my phone. I think you might have said that in one of your correct. But if you pick up the phone, you better hang up on me because I'm not going to end that call. So really just being able to persevere from there. Um, The follow up. There's so much in the follow up. I can't tell you how many times that I reached out to a shipper that they said no, but I took that as not yet. And just kept following up, having a good cadence, a good rhythm just to follow up with them and getting those different touch points 
as you've taught, just on LinkedIn, a call. And sometimes it's just a different voice. You know, I might have my wife or somebody else call because maybe, you know, my voice was a little strong, a little too passionate, a little too fiery. Then they call with a softer tone and they got further in the call. So just really being strategic and using just good communication skills. Um, that's what I found that works. I love it. Yeah. I think those are two really valuable lessons. I mean, what you have to expect going into this business is you are going to hear the word no. You are going to get rejection. But that's the same in any business. Okay. There's going to be a lot of rejection. You got to fight through that first one. The Getting your first shipper is the hardest one. Moving that first load is your hardest one. I've talked about that with other guests in the past. And, um, and so if you can get past that, you know, you're going to walk around, you're going to stick your chest out, you're, you're going to build your confidence. All of a sudden, it's real because that load picked up and delivered. And now all of a sudden, you're invoiced the shipper and it worked. You made 100 or 200 or $300. And you know, if you can do it once, you can do it twice. And if you can do it twice, you can do it 10 times. And then the next thing you know, you're doing it 10 or 20 or 30 times a week. And now you got a business, right? Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, those are some really great lessons. Let's talk about some of the mistakes you made because- I've made more mistakes than I can count. And, you know, I, I tell everybody I've made millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of mistakes, lost millions of dollars in dumb things that I've done. Not only dumb things, but things that I didn't realize were mistakes until after the fact. Talk to us a little bit about one or two of the mistakes maybe you made so that our audience might be able to avoid those in advance. Yeah. So the biggest mistake that I've made is there are a lot of pirates in trucking. You know, you might hear a lot of carriers bashing brokers. But there are some crooked carriers out there. So we founded our first shipper. And unfortunately, I had a load that was a double double broker. Um, the carrier ended up taking the load. It was from Indiana to California. So that's a hot spot for being brokering just because there's a good rail system out there. A carrier, he picked it up, gave it to another carrier, threw it on the rail, and then it finally delivered three weeks later. So in that meantime... I'm still keeping in touch with the shipper. They advised that they weren't going to pay me for the low because of what happened. So I ended up paying for the low out of pocket. But because I kept the communication up, re reached out to the shipper, let them know what was going on, negotiated with the carrier because I had to prepay them or they weren't going to deliver it at all. The low got delivered. And because I handled the situation so well with integrity, we still kept the client. And that's actually happened to, to me twice with the same shipper. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing I've learned from that, just to vet carriers harder. I'm, I'm real hard on vetting carriers. You know, when we first started, you, it was really hard to even find somebody to work with us. But now I, I just vet them. I drill them. If you're not giving me that driver's number or information ahead of time, I won't work with you. I've taken carriers off a load the day of, hours before the load picked up, because I'd rather risk missing an appointment time than getting it double brokered and not knowing where my stuff is. So, um, those are the biggest lessons that I've had to take or pain points that I've gone through. Yeah, vetting carriers is a really critical part of this. And believe it or not, I mean, this is one of the services that brokers provide for shippers, right? Is taking the extra time to vet carriers. You got to understand a shipper, when he's inside his operations, He's wearing multiple hats. You know, it's in a lot of times it's controlled chaos, right? If you're, especially if you have any sort of volume of shipping that's taking place, you know, or even if you're just a shipping manager in a small to medium sized company, you got two people that didn't show up today. The forklift is broke. You know, you got all kinds of challenges. And so they don't have time to vet all the carriers if they're going to effectively move the freight that day, especially when there's challenges. So 
brokers vetting carriers is a really important part. But but what Jeffrey said about you know the potential fraud or scams or or unethical carriers are out there. I mean, the fact is they're out there. So you got to know that going in. But if you follow a few simple steps, I think I did an entire training on some things to make sure you're vetting the carriers properly. Um, I mean, there are some tools out there like Carrier 411. There's some other tools out there that you can use like the TIA Freight Guard. I mean, there's some other things like that that will help you to see and get some transparency into the fact whether that MC has a really bad rap, a bad history, and that will save you tons of time and aggravation. Like you said, you'd rather not um, move the load than to put it on a carrier that's not going to do it the right way or is going to jeopardize your shipper or the load or whatever the case may be, because that's your, that's your reputation at that point. Like you said, I had to put countermeasures in place to keep that client. As far as I had to get a, member, a membership to Carrier 411 because I didn't have that at first. I know you mentioned it in your training, but I must have missed that page. Um, I did join the TIA as part of that um, countermeasures. So I did have to put some more investments and put solid processes in place. And that's what helped retain that client when they saw like, okay, mistakes happen. But this guy really went above and beyond to make processes in place so it won't happen again. So, that's And you I owned it. And you took responsibility for it, right? But what a lot of people do in business is they'll point fingers. Well, or he or she or they, right? Ultimately, the responsibility is yours. You have to own it. What I've found, the best way to disarm a customer that's upset about something that happened during your transaction is to just take ownership of it. Yep. And at that point, focus on the solution. And at that point, you can sort out all the he said, she said on the back end. But if you take ownership of it, you know, it disarms them and now you can focus on solving that problem, right? And that's really just a very basic one-on-one approach to it. Um, and I did misspeak. I think it's uh, Carrier 411 is Freight Guard and then the TIA has Watchdog, right? It's the Watchdog report. So yeah, I would highly recommend either of those. You guys use those, um, check them out. And the TIA is a great organization. I was a part of it. I had, that was a part of my brokerage from day one. So, all right, great. Well, listen, is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we wrap up today? Is there anything that you want to tell them? Um, I know you were a student of Freight Burger Bootcamp. You went through the training you know, you've had a really interesting journey. Yeah. I, I just want to encourage everyone that's just starting off that if I can do it, you can do it too. You know, I don't have a college degree. I don't have any fancy titles behind my name, but what I do have is I communicate well, I'm honest, I have integrity and just those core principle values of just being a good person will take you far in this industry. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who will backstab and thieve and lie their way to the top. But if you are just a good, genuine person, which is good core moral values, you will be successful in this industry. And just to really stick to it and persevere, and I guarantee you'll be a next person on Dennis's program as well. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I appreciate it. Congratulations on all your success. You know, it's it's really amazing. I love to see good things happen to good people. So thank you for being here. And listen, if you guys are curious about becoming a freight broker or a freight agent, you want to take the course that Jeffrey took, go to freightbrokerbootcamp.com, trained over 10,000 students, um, had lots of success stories, including guys like Jeffrey. I did a very small part of that. He did all the hard work, but we helped him get started in the early days to build his confidence. Again, you can check that out at freightbrokerbootcamp.com. We offer a 60-day, 100% unconditional money-back guarantee. 
Check that out at FreightBrokerBootCamp.com. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I'm humbled that you allowed me to be a part of your day. Now subscribe to the podcast so we can do this more often. And for those of you that take the next 15 to 30 seconds to rate and review the podcast, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And who knows, maybe we'll give you a shout out on a future episode.